How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're wrapping up the Ditching Negative Communication series, and I'm covering the topic of stonewalling today. If you're just joining us, you're going to get a good bit of information about stonewalling, and you'll learn some great things. But this series started in episode 31, and some of what we talk about today is going to build on that. So make sure that you go back and pick up those other episodes if anything here um, seems to have a gap, or if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, I did this episode and these these episodes in this series because I did a creating healthy communication and building good communication skills in episodes 10 through 14 of this podcast. And I had such good feedback about it that I wanted to do a series as well on some things that get in the way. So I've used John Gottman's research on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is what he calls them. And it's the four things that are communication patterns that really kill relationships. They're criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So today we're going to pick up with stonewalling and talk about what that looks like, what it is, and how it really is oftentimes the last nail in the coffin of a relationship. Before this, we have talked about Issues like criticism and contempt and defensiveness, those are very active communication processes that are negative processes and that damage relationships. So when you throw out a lot of criticism and you move from just sharing you know, things that you're, you dislike or move from sharing issues that you have, and especially when you move from task-oriented talk into person-oriented talk, that gets really personal and it can start moving um, people away from one another and create separateness in relationships. With contempt, that's where communication moves into real meanness and oftentimes includes a lot of nonverbal um, issues, eye rolling, sarcasm, tone issues, and just, I mean, really what we call being mean to one another. As a result of those two things, we start to see patterns of defensiveness where people Quit taking responsibility for what they do, oftentimes because another person in the relationship is so harsh that they really just push back and defend what they do, and this keeps the cycle going. As we move into talking about stonewalling, it really adjusts the conversation altogether because stonewalling is a much bigger response, and it is actually kind of a shutdown of the person's engagement with another person that they're in relationship with and a complete pushing away and a checking out of the process. It's a response to contempt and oftentimes chronic defensiveness too, but it moves beyond defensiveness and arguing where it just doesn't respond or react. And so what we see is that people turn to retreating, tuning out, engaging in obsessive or distracting behaviors, acting busy, stop responding. It takes a while for this to be the go-to response in relationships. This is not one that people tend to have automatically with people that they're in close relationships with. Now, there are some people who just generally act like this in life and have a history of checking out and pushing away. That's usually built from other relational issues in the past. Um, but once it gets here and once it it shifts to this, it's almost like the turning of the Titanic. 
talk about the turning of a ship. You can push hard right, and it takes a while for it to turn completely. But once it's turned, getting it to turn back is the same type of process, a hard left, and then waiting for a while. It takes a lot longer to come back from stonewalling if you've already gotten there. And that's why we say all, a lot of times that this is the place that's the most concerning and the most um, disconcerting, I think, for counselors when couples uh, or families come in and one or more person is stonewalling in the relationship. You really have to be committed to coming back from it to do that. It's not impossible, but it's a lot rarer for people to choose to rework this in relationships than the previous three. So focus on the previous three. And going back to some things that I've said in those where oftentimes I have people say, really, is sarcasm that big of a deal? We're just really expressive people and we eye roll and we yell and we, you know, it's just how we do. And then we say we're sorry and we're all okay with it. There is some truth to individual family patterns, a lot of truth to individual family patterns and cultural patterns and things like that. But a lot of times people who don't respond that way in family systems are struggling and then you end up getting your stragglers and it fragments the family as well. So really addressing and being conscientious of the first three helps prevent this. With stonewalling, sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's a, you know what, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And it's going to another space mentally or physically. Sometimes, though, it's also the result of psychological flooding and the person's brain isn't even in a state to function that can move things forward. Um, stonewalling and that checking out process there's also a fine line between stonewalling and removing yourself from a situation and refusing to engage with someone and a more flooding process that happens if you are in a relationship that is abusive Um, and so I do want to make sure that I frame this in a way that when, when I'm talking about this pattern of behavior I'm not I'm not talking about tactics to use if you're in a situation or a relational situation that has crossed lines into abuse. Um, If that's the case, I would suggest hitting pause on this and reaching out to a professional or someone that you trust to talk about what's going on, because some of these tactics are going to work and help within the system. But if your relationship has turned into an abusive relationship and is a long-term situation like that, um, tactics only on one side are not going to be the interventions that are going to cause a huge shift. If stonewalling is driven by choice and the decision to disengage is what's going on, the decision to re-engage and to actively pursue healthy connection and relationship is necessary. If you are the kind of person who realizes you're starting to choose to opt out because communication remains critical and contemptuous and defensive, There's got to be a a pause button there where you stop and say, this is not a process that is temporary. It's an internal shift that I've made and I have to internally shift back to engage. Now, this is probably going to take some entire family adjustment or relational adjustment if it's between your your spouse and you, your significant other and you, that you hit a pause button button and get someone in to help both of you. Because if there's been these patterns of negative communication over and over again, and one or both of you are already stonewalling, then I mean, it would be safe to say if you already had all the skills that you needed to do it well and to rebuild from there, you'd probably already be doing them. And there's no shame in not having the skills that you need. So anytime you hit a place where you realize you've hit a skill wall, you've hit the limit of what you already know, find someone to tell you something new. See a counselor, 
by yourself, as a couple, as a family, whatever, it can all work. And wherever you start is a good place to start it. The easiest and safest place to start oftentimes is the best one to start on. If it's the latter and you're psychologically flooding, um, and so you're you're, you know, numbing out, you're moving away. Um, You do have to take breaks to soothe, but you have to be able to go back to discussions and make changes so that you can make changes within those communication relationships too. And that takes a lot of metaprocessing, like we talked about in the previous episode, metaprocessing um, the communication styles and process, making new rules and new determinations. Um, Counselors are great to work with this, either individually if you feel like it's something you need to work on skills in yourself, or as a couple or a family if you realize the patterns are already there. But you can also start with pastors, mentors, healthy friends, get guidance, and call in your people for support. When we look at stonewalling from a family level, stonewalling in kids is not as frequent um, it, I mean, it can happen sometimes. You can see kids who maybe their personalities are more, um, they might be more introverted by nature. You can usually tell introverted and extroverted kids pretty early. And kids who tend to do a lot of internal processing might be more likely to stonewall as they get into teen years. But we usually don't even see a whole lot of that until they start to get into those preteen and teen years, if it's going to happen. And that's when um, there's the more abstract thinking that develops and they're still struggling to connect. And it can be a lot of times it's a result of an emotional disconnection from parents. Now, emotional disconnection between parents and kids, a lot of times there are things that we do that can sever those emotional connections, but they're not always on purpose. They're not always just red flags and results of being a terrible parent. Sometimes we miss things. And just like we are whole people and humans, so are our kids. And we may be looking at the world and our kids' lives through a lens that they're not really looking through it anymore, especially as they get into teen years. And if we're not connecting on the same level that they are, we may be accidentally isolating them or creating separateness that's there that we aren't even aware that's happening. But we have the power seat in the family to help drive and maneuver that. So if we see that our kids are tapping out, disconnecting, moving towards isolating behaviors, moving towards numbing behaviors and distracting behaviors, um, we want to look at that and address it. We don't want to just let that go and assume that that's just, quote, normal. We see a huge rise in um, mental distress, emotional distress, and mental health disorders in kids and teens. From 20 years ago, the rates of increase are significant. Now, there are a lot of things that contribute to that. I'll tell you the amount of screen time that your kids use contribute to that. The um, exposure that they have to content and information at earlier ages has a lot to do with that. Um, Kids' nutrition and exercise has a lot to do with that, too. We can't always control all of those things in all cases, but we can be aware that there's a lot more going on and that our connection to our kids and their experiences, especially as they grow and hit preteen, teen years, and then on into high school and beyond, that there are things that we can do to help connect to them as we adjust to have relationships with them as young adult and then adult people. There is this shift that happens in teen years where our kids don't really owe us a close emotional relationship. They, you know, there's a lot of um, things and different parents would say different things about kids, you know, needing to respect their parents and honor their parents. 
but even spaces of respect and honor can be given to people without forming close bonds and close relationships, being open with them. Those are spaces that no matter the age of your kids, really, we have to see that as a space that's earned and a space that is fostered between us, not as something that we're managing between the two of us either. Um, If there's some disconnect happening, the connection has to be rebuilt before anything else can move forward. And as the parents, it really relies on us. It's our responsibility to see our kids have responsibility for the relationships too. Don't hear me say that it's not both ways, but we have an authority position to help guide that relationship. And we have experience that they don't have. We have brain functioning, quite frankly, that they don't have and won't until they're 25. We have more of a responsibility to see and guide that with our kids than sometimes what we give ourselves credit for. But here's the greatest part. It's not just on you to do it. You're not supposed to be doing all this by yourself anyway. We can't figure out all of this alone and in a in a silo we have to have other people in our communities our church communities our communities um, where we volunteer and connect with others and share interests with our extended families and sometimes with professional communities and those go a long way to help us figure this out it can be really hard to do this in a lot of cases. One, if we're parents who already deal with a lot of shame and a need to get it right, it can be hard to say things are going wrong and I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure if this is a big deal or if it's just a phase. Going back to the series that I did right before this on cutting yourself some slack, it's okay that you don't have solid answers. We're not supposed to be certain about everything. That's not possible. It's an unrealistic expectation that just puts more stress on our families. But also, if you tend to have an, if you've built a family around an authoritarian parenting style when your kids are young, and an authoritarian parenting style is based on a lot of structure, which is good for kids, but without any flexibility and movement in the system you see really low levels of flexibility but high levels of structure and a difficulty in shifting in that when things are stressful when that's the style of parenting that you're using it can be really difficult to adjust that as kids get older and to come out of the heavy responsibility that you have as a parent to guide them when they're young into fostering healthy relationships. It's okay if you need help with some of that. That's not uncommon and that's not a problem. If we're helping our kids to prevent stonewalling, one of the best things that we can do is to build emotional language in them from the beginning. People stonewall often because they don't know how to talk about their emotions and share them with others or they don't have enough practice to really be able to tolerate it. Going back to the metaphor that I used in a couple of episodes about working out your body, it's the working out the emotions. If we don't have healthy emotional vocabularies, we can't put out there what's in us anyway and it blocks everything from connection. In episode seven of this series, I did a family norms, um, a whole family norms series, but I did a a podcast on feeling language and how to develop that in your family as a norm and how healthy that is. So you can go pick that up if that's something that you want to know more about. You have to be able to give your kids times and spaces where they you preemptively tell them that they can be completely honest with you and they won't get in trouble. That's hard to do, especially, again, if you have really clear delineations and distinctions in your family system in authority structure. Um and I'm not saying that it has to be open-ended and that they can say just whatever they want carte blanche. It needs to have the boundaries around it for what the purpose is. 
Um, I've noticed that there feels like a disconnect. It seems like we're not on the same page. I want to make this right too. And we all have to adjust in these situations. So tell us what's going on. Nothing you say is going to get you, you know, in any trouble. Those spaces are really helpful for kids to be able to share without the trepidation of, I might get myself in a bind here because it can feel like a trap. It's hard because then you have to keep keep to that and address anything as guidance, connectivity, and help, and not as punitive or um, or discipline based. If you give those spaces, the third is that you have to be honest with your kids. Um, you've got to tell them that you're worried about them shutting down and withdrawing at times. If you see it happen, you've got to be able to process that part of it too and say, I'm watching this happen and it's concerning me. What's going on? Sometimes they can tell you why. And you might have the space for, to offer to help them fix whatever's going on. A lot of times they might not be able to tell you why, but even just taking the time to say, hey, I'm seeing this and I care and this can't continue because it's not healthy. And um, your kids may say, I don't want to talk to you. That's great. Who do you want to talk to? Um, it's okay if you're not the person that your kid wants to talk to every time about it. Um, I hope that you have people in your your life and your kids having um, non-parent adults in their life who they can talk to um, that you would be willing to. You need to identify some people who you'd be okay with your kids talking to so that they might have a space Um my kids have known for a long time that if they ever want to talk to a counselor, all they have to do is say it, and and that's what that's what we do. Um, they laugh at me, and because I am a counselor, uh, but you know, I tell them all the time. I go. That's what I do when I don't know what to do. Is I go, and I try to model that for you guys because I need it at times. Sometimes I need an adjustment, and I'm not seeing things right, and so I can't always talk to the people around me about it because I may not see it the same way. It's okay to ask for help. If your kids are showing early signs of tending to withdraw, you can be intentional about asking more questions, helping uh, them process avoidance versus personal preference. Uh, My son's an introvert, and we've had conversations before where he says, I would rather just be by myself and think it through. And we've had a lot of conversations about how that's okay. And his introversion is celebrated in our home. I'm not an introvert. I do not understand it fully. His dad is. And I don't understand how you would not want to just, you know, bounce everything that you're thinking off of someone and get feedback. But that is a process that doesn't exist in me. But it's such a healthy process for them. But helping him balance and understand, listen, with processing internally is part of your personality. Withdrawing and isolating is not. That's a response to the difficulty of putting yourself out there and feeling vulnerable. And we can't do that. Now, his introvert parent is a lot better at talking to him about that, too, and about how he's had to learn to be vulnerable and put things out there. Um, And so having someone else who's like them speak into their life can be really, um, really helpful, too, in those spaces. Stonewalling is one of the most frustrating practices because it leaves the other person powerless. If one person shuts down and withdraws altogether, there's no space to work in between. Um, And so mediators and people to come alongside of you are so helpful during this time. If you're facing the front part of this, if you realize you're right in the middle of it um, or that it's already a big problem, please reach out and ask for someone to join with you in the situation that you're facing. Thank you guys for listening to this series. 
remember that all of this that I'm talking about is a process. If you've identified any one of these things as something that you're working on, the process is the point. Um, This podcast is called Remodel Parenting because it's all about looking at the structures that we've built and considering where we tweak and remodel what's going on because that is the process that keeps us with healthy families. Building a family mansion from the beginning that is all working order is really not practical and I've never really seen that happen in any situation ever. But the healthiest families that I have seen and worked with are the ones who are constantly engaging with what needs to be adjusted and changed to fit our lifestyles now, to fit our family now, and to adjust to what we're working with with the people who are in our system. So see this as a process for your next step um, and avoid any type of condemnation or shame that might, you know, that you might feel if you've identified something in this series um, that you do identify with. And just start to build the skills and practice that in your family. You're going to see great results immediately as you start doing things differently. If this series helped you, if you enjoyed this episode or this series altogether, um, share it with a friend, like, follow us on social media. And um, if this podcast is benefiting you, it would mean a lot if you take the time to review it on your favorite uh, podcast hosting site. Appreciate you guys and look forward to our next series. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.